on our episode today, the Underwood brothers break down this week's races, the Willow 300 and the Kuskokwim 300. We hope you guys enjoy. Dude, uh, so I'm digging that hat you're wearing, man. I like to see a little hometown representation. It has nothing to do with me having a bad hair day this morning. And this is like, I took a shower last night. So you'd think I'd like wake up with this immaculate, beautiful mane, but it turns out it looks like I got hit by a truck. So I put my hat on. And it just happens to be an Atlanta Braves hat. Well, also, yeah, it does. You know, I got to say we are a championship caliber kind of podcast. You know, that's the reality of what we're dealing with here. We have 2021 champs. We got 2021 and 2022 UGA champions. You're wearing that's right. Hey, that's right. You see it right here, baby. You know, look at look at I just got to admire Brendan here for a second because I after moving to Alaska, have and and being a diehard Falcons fan and keeping up with every game leading up to that Super Bowl, which they blew. Ever since then, I've given up on like keeping up with Georgia sports, any <laughs> on any any sport, because it's like so difficult to you know go and watch a nine a.m. NFL game. You know what am I gonna have mimosas every Sunday at nine a.m.? I can't do that. You know that's hard on the system. And uh, and then I just kind of check in with these teams like the 2021 Atlanta Braves World Series champions about in October, you know, when playoffs are happening. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've always been a Braves fan. So, you know, kudos to Brennan because he's been watching every freaking football game from UGA since I was one month old. So he's experienced loss on a level that. A lot of people haven't. And then you put in the good work for 30 years and then boom, you get a, a national championship. And then, oh, I guess that'll be another 30 years until my next. Oh, wait, <laughs> another national championship back to back. I mean, that's got to feel pretty good. You know, it was it was kind of fun having uh, Hatcher be born into the Atlanta Braves being champions and the UGA Bulldogs being champions. And it's funny, like the era that he's going to grow up into from a football standpoint, not talking about the Falcons, only talking about the Bulldogs is that he's, he's going to have that expectation that they're going to be one of the best teams in the nation year in and year out. You know, like it's kind of similar to like Alabama, like, any child that was born in the early 2000s and is a fan of Alabama, they only know, they only literally know championships, right? They yep. don't know anything about what it was like to struggle through the 90s and the 80s. They don't. Mm -hmm. So I guess uh, Hatcher's got brought some good luck to uh, my sports teams. Yeah, but... your, your son, to be clear. Yes, and yes, that's correct. Hatcher, we, my son, who, you know, the name comes from Hatcher Pass in Alaska. So, you know. That's how dedicated Brennan is to hey, AK. That's right. And I, he, I, may, I'm, I may be physically located in Atlanta, Georgia, but my heart is in Alaska. 
yeah dude i i just feel bad for like you know all these millions like several million people that are like new york jets fans or cleveland browns fans or like the you know dude how about the warriors how about the warriors before like steph curry was on their team you know like the warriors were horrible they i guess they had a little bit of a period where they were kind of good but like richardson i feel like he was on their team maybe Dude, people are not here for this sports talk, but we could totally just pivot this podcast right yeah, now. Yeah, let's get, let's. Dude, Australian Open, dude, semifinals. Djokovic is one. Jo- it, l- listen, 1, we don't need to waste our time talking about it. Djokovic won the Australian Open on Wednesday the 25th today, uh, even though no, the finals doesn't. doesn't take place until Sunday. He's already won it, so we can wrap yeah. that one up. And uh, all right, so uh, we've got that out of the way. And uh, well, big week this week. We've got two races that are uh, on on the docket. One is is about to start up. Uh, Looks like it was supposed to start at nine o'clock there in Alaska. There's a little delay for the Willow 300. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know what the exact reason is, but I, I think anytime you have a race start, it's a total shit show, even the most organized race that has it all together everybody's just there's like a sense of panic you know you just there's a schedule you're leaving with 14 dogs and every two minutes the like the volunteers you know a lot of them some of them are mushers and they are can manage the excitement and the panic a little bit better but a lot of them are just like oh i like this is my weekend to go and like volunteer and be a part of you know something cool and and then they get to the start line and you can see they're just there's a little bit of stress there and uh from not just the mushers but the volunteers and the people helping it's freaking hectic so i'm not surprised they're just like yo let's wait an extra hour cuz we don't think people are still arriving and you know the traffic there's probably a little bit of traffic and trying to figure out where you're going to park i don't know how many teams are in that race like 30 you have 30 giant dog trucks and trailers and um uh, fans coming and checking it out and it's just i think uh not surprising you could have something delayed i remember when i ran the the goose bay this freaking race it's the goose bay 150 but it's called the tug bar goose bay 150 but i can't ever remember it because it's got like seven words in the title of the race so i always call it like the goose book tug but goose bay 150 so anyways that race like we had a race orientation and then I couldn't hear shit because everybody that was in the bar already knew the race trail because they live there. And I'm sitting there like, I'm fucking, I live, I don't live here, dude. I don't know this race trail. And they're like, yeah, don't turn, do make sure you turn left at this pine tree. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it'll have. And then I'd miss the most important part of the sentence. And I'll be like, well, that's probably like kind of really fucking important that I maybe, I don't know, know where I'm going. So I was, and then I got outside to my dog truck. I like put my booty on like my first dog or like I dropped the dog, you know, let them out of the truck and, you know, start collecting my harness. And someone comes up to the truck and they're like, yeah, Sean, you're leaving in like three minutes. So it better be ready. And I'm like, no dog, like my sled's not ready. There's, there's no, the harnesses on any dogs. There's no booties on any dogs. And I'm like, dude, what is this? Like, so yeah, that that's kind of what a lot of these 
start lines can be like and it's easy for it to be a shit show and be a delayed an hour so you know most of the races that we've discussed usually start on the weekend why is this race starting on a wednesday kind of seems out of place yeah there is an answer there i don't have it though and uh is it I, like they don't want two races going on overlapping? I think that or... might be part of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think uh, the Cusco starts Friday night, and it's nice. To, I don't know. It, it's pretty exciting. It, if you follow a race, you could be up all night following the damn one race. So to have two races going on simultaneously, and I'm thinking that diesel races, you know, the last finishers of the Willow 300 will still be on the trail as the first uh as the first day uh, or first evening of the Cusco 300 starts, there will be a little overlap, but the likely the winner of the Willow will probably have finished before the Cusco starts. So it's a nice kind of transition. You got Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and follow the Willow 300. And then right when that kind of is ending, you boom, you got the Cusco 300 starting uh, completely different areas of Alaska. But I think that's a big part of it, why they have it on a Wednesday. And yeah, so let's uh let's get into things. So we've got the Willow starting today. Um, tell me about the location for this race. Yeah, the Willow three hundred is in this uh, what's considered to be the mushing capital of the world, which is Willow, and it's a thirty plus mile stretch of highway. Um, probably forty percent of the Iditarod mushers live there, train there. There's several hundred miles of trails, maybe thousands of miles of trails uh, out there because it's in the swamps right in front of the Alaska range. And uh, you can I mean, you can just make as as many trails as you want to put in. You know, if you so people are out there, there's like a trail committee that like is full time maintaining the Willow trails. And they I saw you see snow cats out there with groomers sometimes in certain areas. Um, but no, that's definitely not the case for 300 miles. You're not going to get no corduroy on that shit, but you do have, uh, nicely trafficked trails down there and it's very, so it's very accessible for a lot of people. It's right on the, on the side of the highway where it starts. Um, even if you're in Fairbanks, that's like a four and a half hour drive, you know? So that's maybe the most inconvenient you know it would be for someone that's at the start line is for driving for fairbanks um and then the uh yeah it's, it's that's basically the most in, kind of important thing about it. the willow is kind of like the copper basin in a lot of ways uh except for the copper basin trail is much more difficult terrain and it's less trafficked Right, so it's 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 hillier. Typically, it's maybe a little colder over there, uh, but I guess the biggest similarity is that it's it's accessible. Right, it's on the highway. It's um, got eighteen hours of mandatory rest. All right, so that's um, really changes the approach of your race. You know, when you have Cusco's completely different. We'll touch on that later. But eighteen hours, you have six hours that's mandatory at one of the checkpoints. And then the remaining 12 hours, you can spread out between the, all of the checkpoints. I believe there's four checkpoints. Um, 
and Brennan's probably confirming that right now. And uh, the rate, the runs are somewhere between 40 and uh, 70 miles long each. Uh, I think the longest one's 66 miles. Um, and yeah, and right now it's 33 degrees in Willow at the start line. That's, and and that's not, we're not even a heat of the day. This is probably the, one of the coolest parts of the day is, is, you know, at 10 a.m. once the sun's coming up and 33 degrees is pretty warm for some sled dogs. Uh, and you gotta be, um, very aware of that as a musher. You're, you can't really go like if it's like minus 10 and the trail's hard and maybe there's a few inches of some fresh snow and you know, they can stay hydrated. You can really pretty much send it from the start line, but the willow 300 at 33 degrees, you know, if someone's busted out at 11 miles an hour, right from the start going 60 miles, you, you know, it's, it's probably, it's definitely not sustainable and it'll probably reflect on the tail on the last hundred miles. They're going to probably lose some speed. Um, and so, you know, you're going to see mushers taking more breaks during the 50 or 60 mile run. Whereas a lot of times you can just kind of take one or two breaks along for a six hour run, take one or two breaks, give them a snack or whatever. Well, with this, you guys stop probably more like six times, five times during that run and let them roll around in the snow, cool off. They're going to take big mouthfuls of snow that will hydrate the dogs and keep them cool as well. Um, you know, so on top of that, I think if you're there's sometimes there's a slightly higher chance of overflow, which is when water is seeping up from beneath uh, a lake or a lake's ice or a river's ice or a creek's ice. Um, water can seep up from beneath and then kind of pool on top of the ice. Uh, I don't think I've heard any reports of that on the willow, but I don't know. I've been out on those trails before and there can be some some decent overflow. So I'll be interested to hear if that's something that we hear about here in the next uh, couple, couple days. Nice. Okay. So um, <clears throat> let's talk about the, let's talk about the field for this race. Um, there's about 30 teams and uh, I'll just kind of run down some of the names here for you. Uh, I'm going I'm backwards. Say it again. I'm looking at the list as well. Okay, yeah. So we got Travis Beals, Rami Smith, Nick Petit, Mela Porcine. We've got the Barringtons. Uh, we've got... Those are some of the main folks, I I would say, that stand out. Eric Kelly... Um, so what are your, what's your thoughts on this field here? I mean, Nick, having just won, uh, the race two weeks ago, Copper Basin. yeah, he's probably, uh, one of the top main contenders. I would say maybe Mila is there to give him a run for his money. Yeah. I'm not, I'm curious what Mila's goals are. I don't know if she's trying to win this thing or not um she's she's been quietly training in willow you know this is literally a 10 minute drive from where she, she lives so she really really knows these trails well 
Um, Nick has also spent a lot of time training in Willows too. So he he's it's not like he's doesn't know every twist and turn out there. Um, yeah, I would I think I'd be interested to see how Nick can manage these warmer temperatures because you know he's always been kind of a bust right out into first place right from the get go kind of guy, and he's. He's starting. It doesn't usually affect the outcome of a race where your starting position is, but it is kind of interesting to see that Nick is the 24th musher to leave the start line. So he's got 22 mushers in front of him that he plans on passing each one of them. And so, you know, that does passing 22 teams versus starting, you know, in front of the race you're probably going to get slowed down a little bit just having to deal with passing other teams. The trails sometimes aren't that wide. Um, and sometimes you're passing teams that, you know, are trying to play with your team and they, you know, swivel over and start getting tangled with your dogs and you have to stop for a minute or two. So that'll be interesting to see how that affects kind of the first um, 12 hours of his race. I'm sure he'll be out in front before the end of the second run. Uh and there's, I believe there's five runs, five runs, four checkpoints. One of them, you have to rest six. And then between the remaining three, if you spread it out and you're, I'm right on the four checkpoints, right, Brennan? I believe so. I was having trouble pulling up the map and seeing all the different checkpoints, uh, but I believe four is correct. I don't want to continue talking about it without um, being sure about it but uh let's see we've got so let's let's we got 66 mile run from the start line to sit in the landing checkpoint then you got a 46 mile run to sheep creek lodge then you've got 66 mile run to forks roadhouse and then you have a 55-mile run to th- Three Bears, which is that's so funny. Three Bears is like a grocery store. That's, you know, it's like a, it's a gas station slash grocery store. Um, and then you have a final run of 68 miles to the finish line. Uh, so... Three six there's three there's two sixty six mile runs and a sixty eight mile run which are kind of on the longer end that you would want to do for a team so it takes take some good dog drivers and be able to manage their be able to manage the team well and on a more on a on a thirty three degree day and they're going to be running through the heat of the day in daylight you know running sixty six miles you're gonna you're gonna have to really manage your dog team and know their needs. And it's not as simple as just pulling the hook and getting to the next checkpoint. It's much more complex than that um, with with have, stopping your team. And what did you feed them three hours before the race start or two hours? Did you keep them hydrated? You know, how, how did they eat the last couple of days before the race start? You know, all those things are the race began in a lot of ways yesterday and two days ago. I mean, it really began at the beginning of the damn winter when you start training your dogs. But um, you have one six hour break and then at one of the four checkpoints, and then the re- you have 12 hours total left to, between three checkpoints. So if you spread it all out evenly, you'd have three, four hour rests and a six hour rest. And, um, 
yeah, you can, some people might, you know, after the 46 mile run in the Sheep Creek Lodge, maybe the, instead of taking four hours, they take three and then you could make, turn another rest instead of being, being four into a five hour rest. So you, it will be interesting to see what they choose, but there's not like a super diverse, uh, options as far as like rest strategy goes. It's like, you got four checkpoints, you got 18 hours. You can't really get too cute with it. It's, it's gonna, it's not going to divert much from the three, four hour rest and a six hour rest. You know, no one's going to go in and be competing in this race and rest 10 hours at some checkpoint and then two hours at one other, you know, it's, you kind of can't get too cute with it. Well, it kind of sounds like to me that this is a race where you're not going to see too many people that are camping out outside of the checkpoints. If they're, oh, if they're going to, if they're stopping, they're just going to set up camp at the checkpoints. And maybe if you see them stop in between checkpoints, it's more for like a quick snack or some water or something, as opposed to taking right. full on rest. Yeah. And it could be, you know, there's some teams in here that are just trying to get some miles. They're trying to get ready for Iditarod. They don't want to push, uh, you know, their team too much and they're doing going to be very conservative and get to the finish line. And I'm sure there's going to be a few teams like that that are ending at are going to be finishing in the back of the pack. Um, yeah. Looking at the field, you know, the Barrington twins are in this and I'm sure they're going to be somewhere right at the, between, you know, the middle of the pack to the, maybe the back of the front of the pack. Um, the, I could see them finishing, you know, somewhere around 10th and 11th or so. And, um, you know, I have one of my friends, Becky Hackers, running this race. She's been trying to qualify for Iditarod for years. She has her own kennel. She's, it's, you know, she's got, uh, so she's paying for all her dogs. She works at one of the restaurants in Willow. She works at one tour, sled dog tour kennel, and another sled dog tour kennel, just trying to make enough money to get her team together and, and try to run this, the Iditarod one day. You know, it's been several years in the making. And so she's out here trying to get to that finish line and get another qualifying race under her belt. And so, you know, this is a perfect qualifying uh, race. Uh, this is a good race as well for Becky is no beginner. She's an experienced dog person. She's a veterinary technician. Um, you know, a lot of times I have called her for advice about how uh, to handle some kind of dog issue I'm having um because she's pretty much seen it all and uh you know calvin doherty he's uh his dad's larry doherty ran the iditarod a few times and he is looking to qualify for the iditarod and run it in 2024 so you want to see him get to the finish line he had a strong finish in the copper basin 300 i think he finished like seventh or eighth place and uh you know he's this kid is like 17 or something he's summited denali last year you know he's he's clearly no, not short on toughness, but, uh, you know, I think he's, I think you, you, what he's focusing on is not like, can he execute the rest race schedule as much as like taking care of the dogs? Because when you're going and summiting Denali, you only have one person to take care of and it's yourself. Um, maybe some teammates you're worried about, but right now he's got 14 dogs that he's taken 300 miles across interior Alaska. So he's, you know, gaining that dog knowledge and he's running Mitch CV's dog team. Uh, then you have, um, Dude, uh, just, just to cut in there, Calvin, is it possible Calvin has a brother named Leon? I that believe you're... that they're both the same person. 
I believe it's the same person and one it's like his nickname is Leon or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So Leon as his as his name appears in the Copper Basin, uh pulled in a ninth place finish. Yeah, that's pretty pretty impressive. And um then you have, you know, Mila Porcelain and she's like maybe the top uh you know, one of the top mushers in in mid distance and long distance racing. And I mean, she's going to be one of the, some to watch out for. And I did a ride and I don't know what her goals are. If she's, I'm willing to bet she's going to be pretty close to the front of this race. Um, and then Jonah Bacon is running Deke Nactonborn's dogs. Deke is a veteran of the Iditarod and several mid distance races. Um, and he's, I saw him at the Kinnick 200 start, you know, cause he had a team in that race and he was, I was asking him about training and he said, uh, he was like, dude, I've been training dogs by myself for years. Like now I've got like a couple of handlers and like, it's, we like take smaller teams out at the end of the run. We like have a beer and talk about dogs. And like, I have like friends to like train. It's, it's been the easiest, funnest training year of training sled dog in his career. And he's loving teaching someone like Jonah, uh, what all his dog knowledge and something that's really cool about this race is um typically you're not allowed to have any outside help but all these checkpoints are on the road system um so you have the option if you're not like trying to use it i think i i, I i'm gonna have to say that i'm not sure it, on this specific data point but my understanding is that if you want to run this race self-contained and be the only one that is taking care of your dog team, then it counts as a qualifying race. If you'd like to accept help from your dog handlers and the people that are driving to each checkpoint on your behalf, typically they're just there to you know rake up the straw and grab some of the extra gear you leave behind. Each, each team needs a group of handlers to do that at the very minimum but you have the option of having your team come in, feed your dogs, uh, take the booties off, put the booties on, uh, massage them, uh, do all of the work, essentially like a NASCAR pit crew while you go and take a nap if you want to. But what this gives an option for is someone that's inexperienced to run a pretty challenging race. And it'd be totally a little bit safer for everyone involved because you have the expertise of someone like Deke who's following Jonah, who is maybe not the most, you know, maybe I don't know how long he's been mushing, but I'm betting it's not as long as Deke has. And Deke is there for consultation to take care of the dogs. I don't think Jonah's just going to get there and be like, all right, Deke, appreciate it, bro. I'm going to go have a burger and chill with the homies. I think he's going to be like, all right, Deke, this is what I think I saw with my lead dog. And I want to double check that something's, you know, not wrong with his back right foot. And Deke will be like, all right, well, this is how I check the feet. And um, is the booty could have been too tight on the dog. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to wrap their um, their foot in this athletic wrap that's going to keep their tendons and muscles warm. And it's going to prevent, you know, any swelling or um, sorenesses from happening. It'll keep their muscles loose and uh, so they don't get like tight when they wake up after their nap. So you have you can get advice while you're learning how to be a musher in real time and not just go out and run a 300 mile race, get to the finish line and be like, oh, I wish I would have done this. 
and I didn't know what to do with that. Well, you can get these answers as you're in the race, and that's pretty damn cool. And I think it's really good for the sport because then it can give more beginners a chance to go and try and do this and not be kind of like running around like with a, like a chicken with its head cut off. You it, you can be like, all right, I can steer a sled. I've trained this dog team. I know some things. But when you get to a race, it's a different realm than just training. So you, you're going to always encounter something new. And it's nice to have somebody who's done a race like this there to give you some advice. So just hearing you talk about this uh, has me thinking about what was it? Hedda Mosleth. Uh, mm-hmm. She was, she's racing Dallas's dogs yep. and she did pretty well. I think it was top five at Copper Basin. Rookie of the year. Um, is it, it, it like, is Copper Basin similar to the no. Willow? So you can, she was the only one taking care of her dogs, but you can get it. I think you can, I mean, it's really hard to enforce if you can't, but I'm pretty sure you're, you're allowed to talk to your handlers, obviously. And, you know, Dallas was her handler. So, you know, probably what came up, Dallas, dude, Dallas has got a full fucking schedule for anyone that's running his dogs. This is your schedule. Here's plan A. It's going to be totally, it's going to be totally within the dog's, uh, ability and if something happens where you know maybe the dogs get a virus or bug or something and they need to slow down then i guess they can but he she had a schedule anytime anyone runs dallas's dogs they dallas has written out a few schedules he's got spreadsheets for days dude this guy's got all kinds of spreadsheets (laughs) and uh so yeah a mad scientist yeah um thought of every scenario and uh but that's not i'm not that it sounds like i'm discrediting Hedda. she is uh she's finished multiple mid-distance races two to three hundred miles and uh i believe in norway with eight dog teams no dropped dogs allowed in those races so that in a way is kind of next level because you start with 14 dogs you can send six of them home in the willow 300 you can send you can finish with five dogs you can send so it's like all right if you go for it you can go big and it's okay you can drop some dogs no worries well you go run eight dogs for 300 miles and you can't drop any of them i mean the slightest uh you missed the smallest thing and there you go so she is uh pretty I mean, for a, she's 21 years old, and I think she's got the experience of someone who's been doing this much longer. Uh, so, you know, to have, it's a dangerous combination. You see it like with Dallas, who's was won the Iditarod at 25, and he has that, had that experience of someone who's been doing it for much longer than what you would think a 25 year old's been doing it because he grew up with his dad, Mitch. Who, would been mushing since she was a little wee lad. I don't know when Hedda started mushing, but clearly she's not, she's amazing at, uh, at this. So not to get sidetracked here. And then we've got Dan Caduce. Caduce. Uh, yeah. He's uh Duclaw kennel. They, um, Jody Bailey is his wife and she's, you know, ran, I did her out in the Yukon quest as well. So that's kind of like a power couple, but Dan, Dan has uh, been kind of the main racer of that kennel for the last few years, and he's going to be one of your uh, 
top contenders for a top five. I did a round finish, and I think he's coming to this race probably trying to uh, compete well. And uh, Dan is – you don't really hear much from Dan. And I, I like mushers like that, you know. They don't they – they're not – Jody does most of the social media, and she's uh, kind of a little more of representing, you know, this the – uh, PR of her kennel and of Dan's team and Dan's just quietly going about his business training dogs got knows he's got an ep- incredible team and I'm I, you know and then he just shows up at the front of a race like it's just it's it's he's really is a really uh I don't know he kind of reminds me of if you follow basketball he's kind of like Kawhi Leonard you know he he's like just quietly goes about his business and then he goes and wins the championship you know won't talk to you he won't he's not like he's not social i mean he can talk to people and stuff but he's not like bragging about his team and he's not you know saying oh, i feel we're really good we're gonna win this race this year i think we really got a good team and he's just kind of doing his thing and that's kind of i like that uh and then we've got you know nick petit is gonna be the guy that's he you know he's gonna go for it and he's gonna be in first place at some point and might and probably will be at the finish line who knows um travis i think he's got a lot uh he was supposed to be him and nick were supposed to be running the cusco 300 um nick wanted to run the willow because it's a two days before and he's running the quest 300 five sorry the quest 550 which starts february 4th and since the willow 300 starts today january 25th um it gives you two extra days for your dog team to rest because when you go to bethel you're flying there and you got to fly your dogs back and you only, it takes away a couple days of rest. So it'll get his team more prepared for the quest 550. Plus he lives near the Willow 300 and trains there. It's just way easier. And same with Travis. Uh, he said on his Facebook, uh, they've been working on their house. They've got a lot of things going on and to fly a dog team across the state of Alaska, it just is too much. And um, so instead they're going to Willow where uh, they're somewhere they're they train out of and somewhere they're very familiar with and it's a lot cheaper a lot logistically simpler to go out and run this race again um so yeah a lot of storylines in this race i like it i like it so <clears throat> give me your top three real quick and then we'll move on to the cusco uh nick petit dan could do smell porcelain in that order I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I would say, yeah, probably Nick Petit. And um, yeah, I'm going to go. See, so, yeah, I'm going to stick with what, my, what I said. Uh, Nick, Nick, Dan, Miller. I like it. Okay. Well, right on. See how this ages. Yeah, we will. Uh, so, yeah, let's move on to the Cusco 300. That starts on Friday, the 27th. And uh, this year we're looking at a field of about 20 teams. Um, but tell us a little bit more about uh, the location. Bethel, you mentioned having to fly into this race. Yeah. So Willow, again, it's probably the most accessible sled dog race. Um, it's literally an hour and a half from Anchorage, less than it's 30 minutes from Calkeetna. It's, you know, it's close to everything. Uh, and 
the Bethel is the opposite. Um, you have to bet that Alaska has got hundreds of, of native villages. Um, most, you know, most of the people that live in these villages are native, uh, native Alaskans. They make up 16% of um, the Alaska population. And Bethel is one of the largest of the villages in the entire state. I think they have a population of about 3000 people. Uh, you know, most of these villages have a couple hundred, 60 people, maybe, you know, um, but so Bethel is this big village that's surrounded by dozens of smaller villages and it's in Southwest Alaska. And, um, you know, it's a Delta, the area's got maybe a few rolling hills, but it's a pretty flat area, um, where the Kuskokwim, which is one of the bigger rivers in Alaska is, is down there. And that's where Pete Kaiser, uh, trains lives, um, and trains and lives. Richie Deal is down there. Uh, there's actually some mushers with our last name, Brendan, um, on the Underwoods, Isaac and Nathan Underwood that live in the area. And so they, this is like this, you want to talk about a community where dog mushing is everything. They have a sled dog race every weekend, all winter long. Um, some of them are maybe just 20 miles and some of them are 150 miles and some of them are junior races and some of them are like a shotgun start and all the teams go out all at once. Uh, if you didn't get a chance, I shared this on Instagram at some point, but the, the bogus Creek 150 was last weekend and they have all the teams start at the same time uh, in this uh, big open area. And it was a really, they had a drone footage of it and like nicely edited with some music and it was really cool um it's on pete kaiser's uh social media he shared it um anyways so this race has got the biggest purse of any sled dog race in the world per mile right so the iditarod i think first place has recently been 25 grand over the course of a thousand miles well if you win the cusco 300 you get the same amount of money but you only have to go 300 miles um, and second place gets about 17 grand. I think, uh, let's see, we have, um, you know, I think 20th place gets three grand, you know, 15th place gets five grand or six grand. So like if you fly there and you finish the race, you, the idea is that you make enough money to fly your dogs back home cover the cost of flying them there, cover the cost of maybe like your dog food and human food, and maybe a little extra to bring home with you to spend on some more dog food later down the road, or, you know, maybe pay off your credit card bill for paying for all those several thousands of dollars that you pay for your dog food and dog gear and gas and all the things that are, are an endless bottomless pit of financial despair in uh, mushing. And <laughs> Uh, this is so it's it's a gives you a lot of you got to have a reason to go and load your dogs up onto a plane and fly them an hour uh, from Fairbanks or from Anchorage, you know, and that's a pretty good reason you get uh, a good chunk of money. It's also one of the most competitive mid distance races. I think it. I think it, honestly, not without a doubt, it is the most competitive mid distance race. Uh, I think I could I can confidently say that. Look at this freaking this is insane. Okay, you got Matt Failer, former champion, Richie Deal, former champion. You've got Pete Kaiser, former five-time champion. You've got, you know, Lev, who's he's maybe a middle of the pack kind of guy, but you know, I think he might be looking to make some noise. Uh same with Jeff Dieter, Eddie Burke. We know he 
is going to ascend it. Uh, and I don't, I don't think it's, it's really hard for someone who's not super savvy and experienced with this kind of race to win, you know, and, but, you know, maybe Eddie has the perfect race, you know, Isaac Underwood, he's probably more of a back of the pack kind of musher. Um, Clayka born and raised in Bethel. Uh, I did her out veteran. I think she's, she just had a kid. She's a mother. She's going to come. I think she's uh, going to make some noise in this race. Brent Sass, heard of him. Sim Smith. Um, Wait, who was that? Uh, Sim Smith is a t- winner of several mid-distance races. He's one another one of those quiet guys. He's Ramey Smith's brother. Um, and Ramey Smith is, you know, another top uh, level musher. Um, so Sim is somebody who maybe he'll finish back of the pack, but maybe he's coming to make some noise. I'm not sure. Uh, Dave Turner is uh, kind of him and Jacob Woodcop are those mid distance specialists. Both of those guys have never run a thousand mile race, but they've run several mid distance races. Um, they plan on running them probably f- uh, fairly fast, especially Dave. Dave is gonna, he's, this is his third Cusco maybe. Um, and he, I think he's he's looking to make a, a splash out there. Of course, Paige Paige Drobny, um coming and running this race, and so yeah, you have just like this super deep field of ten people that are looking to win this. Twenty one mushers, I think. Uh, you know, Josh McNeil's in it. Uh, he's got a good dog team. So yeah, it's just like a super competitive race. You got a ton of money on the line. You only have ten hours of mandatory rest, the same distance as the Willow Three Hundred. Let's look at this race map. Brandon, interrupt me anytime you need. I'm I'm on one. I'm I've I've been to this race twice. I freaking love it. The people are amazing in Bethel. They're just super inclusive. And you know, I always am scared to go somewhere new in Alaska and people be like looking at me like, who the hell are you? No, they're like, hey, Sean, yeah, how's it going? Come in, have dinner with us. And there's amazing people. Shout out to the Clakers. And uh we have you know, one, two, three, four, um, and five runs, I guess, ish, but you have 10 hours of mandatory rest. So here's what every competitive team is going to do. You go to Tuluksac and it's 49 miles. They're going to blow through Tuluksac. No one stops in Tuluksac, uh, on the front end. Okay. This is a, this is a lollipop trail so imagine uh, the trail looks like a lollipop you go up the stick of the lollipop you do a circle around the candy and then you go back down the stick of the lollipop okay so we're going up the stick halfway up the stick is tulip sack then you get to the lollipop in Kalskag. Kalskag is where every musher is likely going to take their first rest so between Kalskag, which you hit right so there's the first Kalskag, there's Antioch and then there's the second time you hit Kalskag. so between those three checkpoint stops you have to rest six hours total that's and and that's we're talking a hundred miles nearly a hundred miles to Kalskag. then from Kalskag to uh let's see God, this is, I get kind of confused on some of the sometimes, but basically you have Kalskag to Antioch. Oh, okay. That's what it is. Okay. You got 
37 miles to Antioch, and then you have 48 miles from Antioch back to Kalskag, and then you have uh, 48 miles to Tuxac, 48 miles to the finish line. All right, so it's hard to follow all this if you're just listening. My point is, you go 100 miles, you rest two, three, four hours, then you go 38 miles, maybe you rest, maybe you don't, and then you go back to Kalskag and you rest. Again, so you have three stops, six hours of rest. So that's one of the most, there's so much strategy there. Some mushers only stop two of those three times and they rest four hours and two hours or three hours and three hours. A lot of mushers will rest three times and they'll stop two, two, and two, or three, two, and one, or three, one, and two, or one, three, and two, right? So you have a ton of that rest strategy. Um, and it's a flat trail. Most of it, it's basically completely flat, but the weather can be totally, totally fucked sometimes. Like it blows, it literally blows and probably also metaphorically blows. Uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. I see what uh, you did there. <laughs> I And sometimes the trail's super fast and sometimes the trail's super slow. Um, and you always going to give an advantage to Richie Deal and Pete Codger because they live out there. Pete Codger lives in Bethel. I believe Richie lives in Antioch or maybe Akiak. I want to, I don't know which one. So they train out there. They know these trails really well. The dogs are used to it. You know, um, I would say that they're going to be finishing, you know, Pete's going to probably win this thing and Richie's going to be right there behind him, I think. Um, and then you do those three stops. You go back to Tulixac, where you have to stop for four hours. And then you finish in Bethel. And uh, usually you finish right as the sun's coming up on Sunday morning. So it starts Friday evening at 6 p.m. And it comes back Sunday morning. It's about a 39 to 40 hour race for the winning team, which is going to be drastically faster than the Willow 300, which will probably be uh, somewhere at around 50 hours or plus. And so just looking at the weather for um, Bethel, for the Cusco, it is looking similar to the weather you, you discussed for the Willow in terms of I'm seeing 24 is the high, 34 is the high. Um, so do you think that, you know, that 40 hour marker is still obtainable in that, in those conditions, or do you think it might be a uh, yeah, little I bet slower? You it'll be, I bet you it'd be a, maybe, maybe 41, you know, but it's not going to be any slower than like 41 hours. I doubt it. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I think like maybe, I don't know, maybe 42. I don't know. I would be surprised. Um, you know, that, that race is, you know, when you talk about a race like that, you have to be super sharp uh as a dog musher because when you're only resting your dogs 10 hours it's totally um you have to train them properly for that you can't just kind of show up and and kind of like all right guys we're gonna we're gonna kind of run all weekend you know they they have to be at least somewhat ready for this um or you have to ease them into it you got to manage that start line excitement because people just burst through that first leg of the race and uh you know you see them kind of fall back pretty quickly so it's that team management in this race is everything and 
yeah, it'll be interesting. I don't know. It's just, it's just such a uh, exciting race considering where it is, all the mushers that are in it, all the money that's at stake. You have veterinarians, of course, at every checkpoint. Um, you know, there's a bunch of volunteers at all the checkpoints and it's just one of the most exciting races, I think, in mid-distance mushing. And uh, I've never run it. And I'm it's just terrifying. For me, it's like I'm scared to run that race ever. You know, if I were to ever get back into this, it's just like 10 hours of rest is ridiculously, it's pretty low. And so, you know, for the human and for the dogs, it's the dogs are totally time and time again capable of proving it that they can they, they can do this and they pretty much do do it but god you know it is wild it's just kind of it this is one of those races where i look at a sled dog team and i'm like it's truly is miraculous what the hell a, like a team can do i mean it's can we we never we just kind of assume like oh no big deal the dogs run like 50 miles straight and they rest for four hours and they do it again and then they rest for four hours and they do it again and that's just like something we talk about like it's me and you walking in the dog park dude it's insane to have a dog run for 50 straight miles rest for four hours and do it again and now we're talking about doing a next level of that from these dogs i mean these sled dogs these alaskan huskies and make no mistake there is no team in this race that's competing and I, I, you know, to be even slightly competitive, you have Alaskan Huskies. And these are the best athletes of any species. I mean, it's insane what they're doing um, and how robust and how tough they are. And, you know, when if you think, when would a human be thrown in the towel? Probably, you know, mile 50 mile the toughest human mile 100 these dogs are tough dude and they're they get some of these dogs get to the finish line of a 300 mile race with 10 hours rest and they're jumping around barking screaming the whale they're housing a giant t-bone steak that's waiting for them at the end of the race i mean it's just amazing um and i just this race blows my mind how incredible these sled dogs are so <clears throat> one question i've got to ask you talk about Richie and Pete being two of the favorites for the Cusco. Shake and bake, baby. Shake and bake. But what about Brent? Dude, sorry. Shake and bake, dude. I'm all Pete and Richie. Brent is, uh, I think he has come close to winning this race actually a couple times. Okay, maybe may, maybe Brent squeezes in and we got a little Brent sandwich. You know, maybe a Pete, a Brent, and a Richie. But, dude... You just can't mimic these. From my understanding, it's been a low snow year. So the tra trails are just different in Bethel than they are where Brent is training. So his dogs aren't used to it. The muscles that you develop when running a dog team on, you know, hard trails with little snow are different than the muscles that Brent might be developing in his dogs when it's much, where it's much colder in the trail it's got much deeper snow and you're going up these hills, right? It's just a different physical development over the course of training for the dog. So I think that given that Brent has just a slight disadvantage to Richie and Pete, whose dogs are know exactly where they're going, know exactly the trail conditions, their bodies are used to it. Their minds are used to it. 
it's you got to give him a big advantage on this one. Yeah, I was just pulling it up. So, uh, <clears throat> looks like Brent has only done the Cusco three times, 15, 16, and 17. And in 15th, he got seventh place. In 16 and 17, he got second place. So, um, and then pulling up, let's see, Richie. Richie won it in 21. It was a weird year, 21, though. He That was where they did, like, the same 150-mile trail twice. So it was yeah. kind of like a little bit of an asterisk, but he's always – and I think, you know, when you point out that Brent got second place twice and yeah. he's back for the first time in six years, I think he's going to be pretty hungry. He's going to be pretty hungry. Yeah, Richie has gotten top seven every year since 2016. So that's pretty impressive. Dude, he won four in a row. Who, Richie? Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about Pete. No, I'm talking about Richie. Oh, yeah. And then we'll just pull up Pete's history real quick. Four in a row. That's crazy. Yeah, 15, 16, 17, 18. Second and 19. First and 20. Second and 21. First and 22. And Failure's a dark horse. Wow. He's gonna, Dude, he's gonna go Pete Kaiser has... Only one time been out of the top 10 since 09. So he's done it every 09. Yeah, he's done it every year since 09. 11th is his worst. That's crazy. And then Matt Thaler. Let's pull this. Let's pull him up. Dude, he, when he won the race as the he In 2019, to, he proposed to Liz. After he won the 2019 Cusco 300, he proposed, and now they have a kid on the way in the summer, full circle. And he's uh, so she, his wife's pregnant. He's back at the Cusco. I think, uh, you know, it, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what he what uh, what Matt Failer's team does. You know, I think it could be something that I think he's going to go for it early on, and then he's you know, well, it'll be interesting to see what we see about halfway through the race you know he might end up easing off a little bit or he'll say oh my team looks good and that's what you're going to see with a lot of these teams really going for it in the first couple runs and then you're going to see half of them ease off you're going to see ah you know what um the dogs are not performing at the level they need to be uh and you're seeing the you're seeing this before it becomes a problem right it becomes a problem if you continue to try to win and you re you and you don't see the signs that your dogs you need to take you need to get take that extra hour of rest or you need to go that one mile an hour slower and you know that's something that Amanda was talking about when we talked with her and I don't know this might might come out after this one does we all got a bunch of episodes in the bank here but um, look you know you can run a team can run three hundred miles at the right speed right any decently conditioned team so you're going to see these dogs uh, these dog teams half of the ones that are going for it in that first half of the race they're going to ease off and then you're going to see the half that like pete 
and Brent and Richie, who likely will not be easing off because their team dogs will be looking good. And by easing off, that's like dropping from second place down to seventh. So for someone like Richie, you know, um, so you're going to see, you know, oh, this dog looks like he's working a little bit harder than you, you want it to look at your dogs and be like, are they just kind of jo like jogging casually, you know, and if does it look easy for them? And if it looks like they're sitting there, like just catching up constantly, just trying to catch up, you know, you want to keep, and trying to keep that tug line tight and they're barely keeping it tight and you're going too fast. Time to slow down. Time to take an extra hour of rest, you know. Uh, and so it, that's what you're, you're going to notice halfway through that race. And it's, I would, man, I'm just so pumped for this one. I, I love the Cusco. I love it. Well, <clears throat> you know, we wanted to make sure we, uh, discuss both these races this week and, uh, get this out to you guys. And we have, uh, like Sean mentioned, we have a couple of recorded podcasts in the bank. Um, so, uh, if you're looking forward to listening to uh, Riley, we'll have that one out soon. We also just talked about uh, Amanda and uh, her podcast will be out as well. So we've got some things in the bank. Sean, you're going to be away in the month of February. Uh, so we might have a couple of episodes where Sean is not on it. Um, but maybe just tell the... Uh, listeners a little bit about what you'll be up to yeah i i'm uh, i'm uh, slightly bummed to not be hanging around and watching the keeping up with the quest uh the both of the alaskan yukon quest and the canadian yukon quest uh back-to-back -back weekends you have the yukon quest 550 the yukon quest 300 in alaska on february 4th and then you have the the yukon territory of canada is putting on races I think it's a 450 mile race from Whitehorse to Dawson City. And I think they also have a 200 mile race. Um, so I won't be able to keep up with those races. I'm going to be down in Arizona. I'm going to the Grand Canyon uh, and floating on the Colorado River uh, through the heart of the Grand Canyon for three weeks. So we'll be out of service. And uh, you might, I'm going to be a different Sean. The Sean you're seeing right now is. He's got a couple of screws loose. He's uncalibrated. He's um, on the verge of a mental breakdown. And then I'm going to go out three weeks uh, in the in nature, purging of technology. None of that. No phones and no laptops. Just the great outdoors, uh, some good people and some good vibes. And I'll come back and I think it's going to be a great uh, refresher, uh, refreshing uh trip for me so i'm excited about that and then i'll be back right before i did a ride and then we'll pick things up uh then and brennan you know you're gonna have some hopefully have some special guests on to uh take my place it's kind of i don't want to compare myself <laughs> oh my god oh here we go here okay. we go <laughs> i don't want to compare myself to like when alex trebek died oh but me going and leaving for february is almost that you know, much of gravity. So you're going to have some Ken Jennings coming in. You know, you're going to have some of that, the girl from the Big Bang Theory coming in. You know, might have Dr. Sanjay Gupta on, uh, but he wasn't that great of a host, I'm going to be honest. Um, 
that's anyways i'm sorry alex trebek you deserve so much better and uh we'll never well no one will ever be alex 